How about now? Hey, we did it. That's an amazing thing when technology works. I'm from California. If you didn't know that, don't, don't judge me. But rolling brownouts is regular for us out there. Whenever there's an issue with power grids or money, we would normally roll brownouts. So uh, this is fine to me. This makes sense. It reminds me of home. I want to add um, my thanks and my appreciation for moms. And I know it's weird that we contain it to a day. I don't think it's contained to a day. I think regularly we are uh, incredibly, hopefully thankful for our moms and especially moms in the room or watching online. Um, my view is that moms are the epitome of sacrifice. You sacrifice uh, uh, <laughs> color of hair <laughs> as it turns gray. You sacrifice tears. You sacrifice emotion. Often moms sacrifice careers all to raise little humans that, uh, now you're hearing this from a male perspective, so just translate this, from little humans that for so many years don't seem to give so much back. <laughs> and when they're little, and I know, like, my wife reminds me how adorable when that little baby goes, pew, and then you're like, oh, it's all worth it. It's not. <laughs> I get it. They're adorable. But there's not a lot of, and, and so mom's just the epitome of sacrifice, and that's the God that we serve. That's the Jesus that we know is the epitome of sacrifice. And so whether you're a, a biological mom or a stepmom or an adoptive mom, however that plays out for you in your world, I just want to say uh, thanks. Whenever we talk about moms, I think about uh, Jesus. Jesus was raised by a single mom. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, Joseph was in the picture for a while, but then at some point he seems to drop out of the picture in the Gospels. A single mom, I think that's got to be one of the hardest roads. And forgive me if, I mean, your road might be harder. I don't know. I just, I just know what it's like um, to, to be a single mom. My, my wife's mom was a single mom, and lots of kudos and credit to her for trying to keep humans alive as a solo parent. And so if that's your uh, story, like extra, extra heap on you. And, and I also recognize that when we talk about Mom's Day and Mother's Day, we, we celebrate moms. We want to honor moms that there are people in this space that for them, for whatever reason, that's just not a possibility. Whether there's medical issues or physical issues or some, something's happening there. Maybe there was death of a child. So we recognize that Mom's Day can be painful for some. And at the same time, we don't want to lose sight and not celebrate the moms. Does that make sense? It's just an awkward, odd, interesting component. So whether you have a mom or you are a mom, we just want to say happy Mother's Day. And I just want to add on to that. Good enough? We're going to shift gears. And I don't know how to do this well. So here we go. A new thing. There we go. We just shifted Gears, um, uh, uh, so this relates to moms somehow. I don't know how. I'm going to let you figure that out. And what I need, though, in the next few minutes is I need the church people in the room to, like, zone in with me. When I say church people, I'm talking, like, the people that were raised in, like, Sunday school. And you remember singing songs in Sunday school? Do you, Anybody here with me? Okay, I'm just checking to see where my church people are. It's going to become very important in a minute. Like, you remember flannel graph? You remember flannel graph? Now, I know I've aged some of you at the same time. Some are very excited. This is going to be your day. Happy Mother's Day. We have flannel graph for everyone. Flannel graph, church people. Now, if, you were not, if you're not a church person, if you weren't raised in church, that's not your story. That's cool. It's going to get really weird in here for a couple minutes. Just hang with me, okay? It'll be okay. You're going to talk about it when you go home. You're going to post on social media. I'm going to do something right now that I said I would never do in a sermon ever. I'm embracing my inner Rick Rubel, all right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing a song. Now, when I say I'm gonna sing a song, I mean you're gonna sing a song, all right? Now, now, you see this picture, right? You know what song we're gonna sing. If you're a church person, 
You know, some of you are doing the hand motions already. You're like, ah. right? And that's cool. We're going to sing this song together. And this is meaningful. So church people, and if you're not a church person, just sit there really quietly and awkwardly. It's cool. The words will be on the screen. So there's no reason to be afraid that you're going to get the words wrong. So you sing out with gusto. Are we ready, church people? You ready? I don't know why we always make his name like nine syllables, but we... Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little... Now, hold on a second. Why do we assume Zacchaeus was wee? Now, if you're a Gen uh, Z in here, wee is a word for, like, like, short, okay? It doesn't mean, like, he wet himself or something. It's short. Zacchaeus, why do we think that? Have you ever asked that question? Does the Bible actually tell us? That he was short? What's up? Okay, so wee little man, wee little man was he. He climbed up in a more tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now, hold on a second. The song does not tell us why he wanted to see Jesus. This is weird. Like, why? Like, what's your, like, you're just wondering if he had the longest beard? Or were you just wondering, was Jesus real? Like, these songs are cool, but they leave so much out. I have so many, okay, whatever, whatever. Lord, he wanted to see when the Savior passed by that way. He looked up in the tree and he said, Why? Why do we always make it like Zacchaeus broke into Jesus' backyard and climbed his favorite tree? We always say, like, Zacchaeus, you come down. I, my gosh, what a horrible day. What a horrible song for children. I mean, <laughs> there was a short guy who climbed a tree and Jesus screamed at him. This is just, this hurts my heart. Okay, whatever, okay, come. Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That's just weird right there. We have another verse. I don't know if anybody knows the final verse. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. And a very happy man was he. How is it that he's a happy man? He climbed a tree, he got yelled at for it, he was forced into hosting an impromptu dinner party, and, as we'll learn in a minute, people start calling him names. <laughs> this is a weird song. Now, if you've never heard that before, you're welcome. <laughs> and let's, let's jump into the text. I want to look at Luke chapter 19 this morning. It's where we get this story. And honestly, most people are probably familiar with this story, whether you've never been in church before or you grew up in a Sunday school environment. Most people have heard the story of Zacchaeus. And, and, and we have this picture in our head, and maybe you had the play set as a kid. But I want to look at the text and in the process see a few suggestions for this thing that we call evangelism. Like we started this series last week, we're calling it Who Cares? And it's focused on something that we call evangelism, although we're steering away from that word because that word really does have, in 2022, a lot of baggage that goes connected with it. Matter of fact, we talked last week about often it means making people a project, which is the exact opposite of what we want to do. We want to love people enough that we, 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 we share the beauty of Jesus with them. And sometimes when we think evangelism, 
we, we have old tapes playing in our head. When, when I was a kid, I was in uh, sixth, fifth grade, we were at a, I was at a, a Christian school, and one of the things that we had to do in this school is we had to go evangelize the neighborhood. And so they would send me out with another little fifth grader. We got this cool training of these little things that we were supposed to say. This is the 80s. You could just send people out into the neighborhoods, and if the kids came back, fine. If not, fine. <laughs> We'll make more. But so they'd send us into the neighborhood and we'd knock on strangers' doors. I'm not making this up. This is really my thing. We'd knock on strangers' doors and then, and then we would try to like start into our little, I had my little sentence and my buddy had his sentence. And this, I think the thought was the poor person wouldn't slam the door on two adorable fifth graders. They will. So, so and, and, and as much as I kind of joke about this story, like it, it is somewhat scarring to me. Like I remember that as not a pleasant experience. <laughs> I hated it. I remember being sick a lot on those days when we were gonna go evangelize the neighbor. So we, we, we sometimes think of evangelism in these terms that really isn't what it is. And so we wanna, we wanna look at that and, and maybe this morning have some thoughts on that. Just so you know too, we're gonna, I, I'm gonna use the English standard version of the Bible this morning. Uh, in the app notes and up on the screen, it will be the ESV, lots of good translations. I'm using that because it's a little more literal to the words and that'll become important in a few minutes. So that's, that's where we are. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse one. It says, he, it's talking about Jesus, entered Jericho as he was passing through. So Jesus is on his way uh, from where he was to Jerusalem. We're, we're moving towards the end of, of Jesus's earthly time. And he's passing through this town called Jericho. Jericho has tons of, of uh, Old Testament significance. You can look it up another time, verse two. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I like how that sentence starts with behold, like he just drops on the scene. There's no preamble to Zacchaeus. He just sort of, poof, and he's, he's there almost like as the author writes this, if, if I were writing it, I probably would have said, now check this out. There was this guy named Zacchaeus, and we don't know much about him, but we learned two things immediately. Number one, he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were Jewish men who made their living by helping Rome uh, collect taxes, really collecting taxes for Rome. Jews hated Rome. Rome overtaxed the people, and a typical tax collector could make a little extra or a lot extra money on the side by overtaxing the overtaxing and keeping the rest for themselves. So they were hated by the other Jews. They were seen as traitors, like they were not liked, they were not respected, they did not get invited to dinner parties. So we learned that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So Zacchaeus sat at the top of the multi-level marketing concept, and he really made his wealth off the backs of the other tax collectors. And apparently, he was pretty good at it because it says that he was rich. He had a bunch of dough. Verse three. It says, and Zacchaeus, he, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. This is, this is where it gets interesting because this is where often Bible translations will tell you that Zacchaeus was short. But the language says that he was small in stature. It could certainly mean that he was uh, short. It could mean that, but it could also mean strength. That word stature is often translated strength. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter two, verse 52, the author Luke is talking about Jesus and it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And when he says stature, many Bible translations, most of them translate that word strength. 
So Jesus grew in wisdom and strength, and it's not that it means wisdom. Uh, Jesus grew in wisdom and tallness. I don't think they were just referring to Jesus' height when he says stature or wisdom. He, oh, Jesus was a tall guy, right? But there is more to this word that, that, than sometimes we get from just a song. It could also link back this concept of stature. It could link back to the comment of uh, Zacchaeus' job and being a tax collector. And so it means this idea of reputation, his standing in the community, how other people saw him, that his reputation, respect, influence in the community was really uh, not very much. So, so something in there is this picture of Zacchaeus. Not just that he was short, maybe he was, but, but probably I think there may be more going on there. But, but whatever it is, Zacchaeus can't get into a position where he can see Jesus because the crowd keeps elbowing him out of the way. So he sprints ahead of the crowd, which kind of makes me think he probably wasn't a really short guy because, you know, it has sprint. Anyway, and then he climbs up into this tree, which also makes me think he probably wasn't super short. That seems really difficult for really a short guy. I don't know. He climbs into this tree so he can get a good view of what's going on. And we get to verse five, which is where the story gets really great. And there's not one single line in the song about this part here. Verse five it says, and when Jesus, well, I guess there is sort of a line, but it's a weird line. And, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. There's four words, four words you gotta notice in that little sentence. It isn't much more than four words in total, but there's four words you have to see there. Looked up, that's really one word, but looked up, hurry, must, and stay. See, when I always sung the song, I always thought Jesus was like, hey, I'm hungry, let's go to your house. And it was kind of this like, I don't know, uh, after you know, uh, yelling at him about coming down, he's like, I'm going to your house. But, but this is just interesting, the language here, looked up, Jesus acknowledges Zach. Right, an entire crowd nudged Zacchaeus out of the way, wouldn't let him in, actively ignored him. But Jesus stops as he's passing through and makes eye contact with a guy who maybe hasn't had eye contact for years. Like Jesus noticed Zac. That's a huge deal. Almost like Jesus went that way specifically for that purpose alone. Jesus stops and looks up. See, we get, we get caught up in the song and in life about thinking about, oh, Zach, who had this smallest stature dude who, who wanted to go see Jesus. But it's so much more interesting that Jesus wanted to see Zach. And that's why Jesus was in that place for that time, for that moment. That's, that's a, I mean, I don't know. I want to stop and pray and just be done. Right? Jesus wanted to see Zach. I don't think it's any different for us today. Jesus wants to see us. He cares about us. He notices us. It's way more powerful to understand. It's interesting because in Hebrew, uh, Zacchaeus, the name uh, means the Lord recalled or the Lord remembers. That's absolutely true that Jesus remembered Zacchaeus. Like he knew him well. So he looks up and then he says, hurry, Zach, hurry and come down. Right? Like this was imminent, not like when you feel like coming down or you know, when, you, when, you have enough, when you're not tired anymore from that big climb you just went through or that big run and climb. Like just cool, like give it a few minutes, catch your breath and come down. He's like, like, hurry, 
Like, hurry, it's right now. It's happening right now. It's not like after Zacchaeus gets his stuff together or cleans up his life or looks a little better or puts on a different uh, pair of pants that weren't ripped from the tree. Or He just says, hurry. Super interesting. Like, this was going to happen as is, Zach, in the condition you are right now in this place. And Jesus follows it up with the word must. Hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. That's not really a true sentence. Jesus didn't have to stay there. There were other houses. There was other places to be. He was, after all, passing through, and yet he uses the word must, and we can't miss it. We must not miss <laughs> the word must. Jesus says, I must stay with you. It's not an option for Jesus. Hey, uh, hey, Zach, I'd like to hang out with you if it's okay. I- I'd like to come over for a quick meal. Jesus says, I must Stay with you, right? It's like, like, like that was Jesus's only reason for being there. And then he uses the word stay, which seems like an odd word. That word stay, it implies a much longer visit than just like a quick pop in. Like, hey, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down from the tree. I got a quick thing I wanna tell you. It's not that. But hurry up and come down from the tree for I must stay with you. Today, the word stay is often translated in our Bibles, abide or remain. And I don't think Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna live with you now, so clean out the basement. Although in a minute, we'll see some spiritual stuff that goes on that might indicate that there was something a little more permanent about Jesus. But this idea is that Jesus planned to linger with Zach at his house with him. It wasn't just a quick pop-in. And we get down to verse six. It says, so he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him Joyfully, Zacchaeus pops out of that tree and he, and, he, and he joyfully receives this offer that Jesus is making. And it's interesting because every time Jesus makes an ask, there is a response expected. We, we miss that sometimes in our contemporary culture. We miss it in 2022. When Jesus makes asks of us, there is a response expected. I don't know that that response is like, well, hold on. Well, I'll think about it tomorrow. I'm I'm really busy today. Zach probably had a lot going on. I mean, he had to get out of the tree after all, right? And yet he just, he responds. Verse seven, we see what that looks like. It says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who's the they? It's interesting because because I've heard this story a million times. I always thought that they was the Pharisees. We love picking on the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders, the religious teachers, like, ah, they're evil. And I, I make a case that they probably weren't evil. They were just really misplaced. But I always thought, it's not, you're right on. It's the crowd. The crowd that moments ago had been elbowing Zach out of the way, had, because of his uh, small in stature, whatever that was, condition, they, they, they just were actively ignoring him. They weren't interested in this less than dude. All of a sudden, Zach has become the center of attention, the spotlight as he pops out of the tree and he's there in that moment. And Jesus says, I must stay with you. And the, gro- the crowd starts grumbling. Grumbling is this concept of indignant complaining. They're looking at each other and they're like, why that guy? Why that guy's a sinner? I want a piece of junk. I'm I'm way better than that guy. Why my house is cleaner, it's bigger, I have more food. I don't know what they were saying, but I think it's bred in a sense of jealousy because they had decided who Zach was and what he was about. How on the planet could Jesus come to a guy like that when there's guys like me around? You see the picture? 
See, these people thought they were better than Zacchaeus. They're ticked off because Jesus would give time to linger with that dude over them. And I think somehow this drives at the heart of why often we don't evangelize, why often we don't share the beauty of Jesus with others. Sometimes we use phrases like, well, I can't deal with that person. You know that person, you know that person. You have that person in your head already, right? The person at work, the person in your family or friendship group, the, the person in your neighborhood, like, I can't deal with that person. Like, I, I, they don't deserve my time. I'm not gonna waste my time on them. They are just fill in the blank. Like, like subconsciously, sometimes, we just believe that I'm better than they are. And we'll come back to this in a minute. Let's get to verse eight. I wanna finish the story. I don't wanna leave you hanging. It says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is complex, because I've, again, always heard, and I wanna submit it, might be, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe it's right, I'm not so sure anymore, but maybe it's right, that this is what Zacchaeus promised to do in response to Jesus noticing him and wanting to spend time with him and go to his house and whatnot, that Zacchaeus said, I'm gonna start doing these things. I don't think the language leans towards that. I think the language leans towards this is what Zacchaeus was already doing. Now, this is where you guys get to be like the Bereans, go home, figure this out, and see how off base Chris is. Check it. It's interesting because if it's true, I think that it is, that this is what Zacchaeus is already doing, not something he's gonna do in the future, but rather it's present tense. He's really saying, Lord, I already am giving half of my stuff to the poor. The crowd says, I'm a sinner, but I'm already giving half my stuff to the poor, and, and if anybody feels like we're, they were cheated by me, I pay back fourfold what was owed. This is, this is maybe really Zac defending himself against the accusations of the crowd. In essence, saying, what sinner? I already give away half my stuff. I already pay back anything that they may feel like they were cheated. This would have been a staggering statement on Zach's part. See, the Jews at the time had a lot of laws that governed what they did and feelings and senses and how they were supposed to interact in certain scenarios. And they felt like giving 20% of your stuff away through tithes, through offerings, through generosity was hugely generous. Over the top, 20% was like, oh my gosh, name a, a, a room of the church after that guy, right? And Zach is saying, I'm, I already give 50% of my stuff away. In, in the Jewish law, they had this concept in Latin, we call it lex talionis, but, but in, 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 it translates to like eye, eye for an eye. This was a Jewish custom that, that the punishment fit the crime, that the idea that of what you did wrong, you would pay back the same in kind, maybe a little to make it right, but really a, a good proportion. And Zach is saying, like, not only do I pay back, but I pay back four times the amount if anybody feels like I've cheated them, which was interesting because the uh, beginning tells us that Zach is rich, so I'm gonna suspect that if I'm right, he's not doing a lot of cheating, otherwise he'd be incredibly broke if he's paying everybody back four times what they think they owe. He may not be doing a lot of cheating or none at all, and it's just interesting because if this is true, then this dude is far from a, a, a sinner. Crowd looks at him and they're like, ah, he's a tax collector. He's worthless, pointless. He's less than. He's a piece of junk. And Zach is saying, in that moment, in this interaction with Jesus, and Jesus notices and says, I got to stay with you. Zach says, but, but I'm not. I'm not. Verse 9 it says, And Jesus said to him, Today, 
salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. There's cool things going on here. It says salvation has come. We often read when we read the word salvation, we think of it with our brains of salvation. We're like, oh, sweet. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus accepted Jesus into his heart and he's a Christian now and he's gonna go to heaven forever and be with Jesus. And and that's just not a concept that they would have had figured out there. There were were no Christians yet because they really hadn't been developed. Jesus is on planet. He's talking to a to a Jew, these are Jewish people that, that this idea of Christian wasn't there. The Holy Spirit wasn't yet a permanent resident with people, and so that wasn't part of it. And, and, and the concept of heaven for Jewish folks wasn't really a well-developed thing. So we read our view of salvation into it, like, oh, Zach prayed a prayer, and now he's saved. But it's, it's not really that. It's really more for Jews. The concept of salvation carried the idea of freedom from bondage or deliverance or healing preservation from danger, or reality, wholeness. I think what Zacchaeus is happening and what Jesus is saying is that somehow Zach now understands who he is in light of this interaction with Jesus. Like there's a wholeness and a healing that's been brought to a guy that's for decades maybe has been called names and seen as less than. For a guy who has listened to the voice of the crowd for years about his identity, In this moment, Jesus reminds him of who he actually is, who he was created to be. See, there's this this word game that happens uh, between verses 9 and 10 where Jesus says salvation has come to this house for uh, Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. That, that Greek language there is, is uh, wihas, means son. Wihas, Abraham. Wihas, Abraham. Zacchaeus is a wehas Abraham, and then it goes on to say, because, because I, Jesus, I am the son of, uh, of man, for the son of man has come. So son of Abraham, wehas Abraham, and son of man is wehas anthropos. You see where the two words overlap, the wehas? Wehas Abraham, wehas anthropos. They had like a little word game, and, and when Jesus said that, the, the, the Jewish listeners who spoke Greek would have heard this. They would have, Wait a minute, because he was playing a word game. Word games mattered like they were listening to this. So this word, wichas, it, it, it's a combo there. And so, and so it's like, like son of Abraham, but, but son of man. And so there is this moment where, where, where Zach is reminded of maybe the most uh, important thing of who he is and whose he is. So that the, the listening Jews would have heard the rest of the sentence, wichas Abraham, we has anthropos came to seek and save the lost. And this is Luke's point in writing his gospel, is to constantly remind us of Jesus' mission, his intentional mission to seek and save the lost. So as Jesus is just passing through Jericho, he knows who he's gonna talk. He's there to meet with Zach. And Zach runs along and climbs a tree and he stops to talk and notice and interact with Zach. And he says, I gotta go to your house today, man. And Zach says, okay. And they go because because Jesus is there to intentionally seek. See the seeking parts there? And save, bring wholeness and healing and rightness and a reminder of who Zach was as a wichas Abraham. Jesus came to intentionally seek active engagement in looking, putting himself in places where the lost would be. Jesus came to completely save, to bring health and wholeness, to remind people who they're created to be, 
what the original charter was from the very beginning to be with God, in relationship with God, in a communicative relationship with the God of the universe. They got broken in sin and, and got messy throughout the centuries, and yet Jesus came to put that back together right. The Wehas Anthropos came for the Wehas Abraham. The Son of Man came for who should be sons of eventually God. So what do we do with all that? All right, fun story. We sang a song about it. They make neat cartoon pictures. What do we do with all that? What does any of this have to do with evangelism? Uh, we said last week, nobody likes to be evangelized, but everyone wants to be cared about. I think that's an axiom. It's just something that's absolutely true. And that's the heart of evangelism, right? Sharing the Jesus you know with others. And it begs the really uncomfortable, complicated question. So, do you care? Do you care about them? Like, do, do I care about others? I, I think many of us operate out of what I call a, a gospel of scarcity. Like somehow we think in our head that there's simply not enough to go around, right? There's not enough money. If I give my money, then there won't be enough for me, right? Or if I, if, if I give away more of my time, there won't be enough time for me. Or if I give uh, more energy away, or what I use the phrase bandwidth away, or mental engagement, then, then somehow there won't be enough for me. As in, if we give it away, there won't be enough for me. Right? So we don't give financially, maybe we reveal this belief. Like, if I give to the church or charity money, then there won't be enough for me. If we refuse to spend more time with people, I can't spend any more of my time with other people, because then there won't be enough for me. If I spend time with one more person, I won't have enough time for me. If I give my emotions to them, I'll be left with none. But what if, what if, what if the gospel of scarcity, I gotta be careful because then there won't be enough for me. What if it's the wrong gospel? What if instead giving it away and in giving it away, there's always more than enough for me? What if I crafted my life in such a way that, that I give from the overflow and the overflow never stops? Or what if I buy into instead a gospel of plenty? A gospel of plenty which says there's plenty to go around. There's plenty of money. There's plenty of time. There's plenty of energy where, where God continues to expand your capacity and in the end, even more flows through you. Not a gospel of scarcity that says, if I give it away, there won't be enough for me. Or instead, it's a gospel of plenty that says, I can give it away because I know that there's more than enough for me. Like, guys, I want to, I believe, I, I want to believe, I believe, I want to believe. Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I want to believe in a gospel of plenty, but I catch myself using phrases from a gospel of scarcity. Is anybody else with me? Me, this is, this is me. I catch myself saying, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I can't take another person's issues. There's <laughs> a phrase that comes out of me too often. I don't have any more room in my world for more relationships. That's a wrong gospel. Maybe for you it sounds like, I don't know what to say, or I, I don't know how to talk to people or I'm not very versed in the Bible, or I'm not a very good example of a Christian. Wrong gospel. And I, I wanna pause here and, and I, I offer a mental health caveat and a caution here. 
in no way am I encouraging us to burn ourselves out by tackling everybody else's issues and not being cautious with who we are. I'm not advocating you run yourself into the ground. I believe strongly in good and healthy boundaries. I just think too often we hold our stuff close, material stuff, relationship, emotional stuff, and we're unwilling to give it away due to fear. I'm not saying that we should let our emotional health trash for the benefit of everybody else. But I'm saying that I think often, and maybe I'm only talking about me, and forgive me if it's just me in this room, I use that as an excuse. Because the question in evangelism is, do I care? Do I think there's enough for their mental health as well as my mental health? Do I think there's enough for their well-being and my well-being? Do I think there's enough for them to be noticed and cared for and me to be noticed and cared for? I'm sorry, I got all philosophical there for a minute. Just come back with me for that. I got a little crazy. Two practical things. (laughs) Two practical things that you could do tomorrow to care plenty. Number one, and we see this with Jesus, intentionally notice people. So if you're looking for the thing to write down, the thing to practice when you leave this room, this is to intentionally notice people. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus and he heard him. We are terrible listeners. As a culture, we stink at listening and I wanna uh, consistently advocate that we become better at listeners. One way you do that is you become a great question asker. Become a great question asker. And you're asking questions, uh, not so you can just tell them that you have a better story and you're trying to get to that, but you're becoming great question askers because simply for the sole purpose of knowing the other person and caring about them. Jesus was this master question asker because he cared so deeply for people. So, so intentionally notice people. Here's the second thing I would say. <laughs> Ready? Eat. I know, you're excited about this. And you're like, wait, did he just say eat? Yep, he said Eat. Eat with people. Be intentional about planning time where you can linger with people. In our world, that is kind of the eating concept. When you go for a meal, you tend to linger over it. Plan time to sit down with a person. How many times have you caught yourself saying, hey, fill in the name, we should grab coffee sometime. Hey, we should grab a meal sometime. Hey, it would be fun to go grab lunch. And then nothing happens. Amen? So what if you just got better simply that when that phrase comes out of you or them, hey, we should go grab lunch sometime, you go, let's plan it right now. And you pull out the device that I know almost all of you have in your pocket that has a calendar on it that will allow you to know what is going on with your days and you actually plug it into the calendar. And some of you have incredibly ridiculously busy lives and so you're planning it out for four weeks from now. But that's fine, it's on a calendar. Like what if we just did that? See at North Point, We've defined this whole concept of being a disciple as this. Someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And Jesus is incredibly clear in Luke 19 that his mission was to seek and save the lost. To intentionally insert himself into the places where those needing wholeness and healing might be. Simple to do the same. We're committed to the mission of Jesus as a disciple of him. We gotta do the same. I wanna end with a quote from one of my current favorite authors. The favorite author changes, so don't get too hung up on it. His name is James Brian Smith. He's got a book, it's called The Magnificent Story. And this is what he says about this concept of evangelism. He said, our task is not to protest the world into certain moral conformity. Pause there for a second and just let that soak in because that's a painful sentence. 
Our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ. Amen.